0: Today is February 16th, which actually coincidentally is both my mother's birthday and my brother-in-law's birthday. Uh, Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika Ganai Bagani of the Confederation. These lands are now on Treaty Seven, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, which are now the Wesley Chiniki, and Bears Nations, and the Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Oki, ches aki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. Um. Gifted to me in ceremony, my humblest apologies to Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn the proper pronunciation. I honour the Blackfoot as I'm a guest on their land. Uh, My given name is Michelle Robinson, but I was born as Michelle Elliott. Very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am the daughter of the Mayflower (laughs) and a daughter of the American (laughs) Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. So I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me up in the land of the Hare People, also called the Great Bear Lake People, in Treaty mm. 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indahay in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. <coughs> This area, I should also mention. I don't know why I thought it was in my write up, but this is Mokinstis, and I always tap my elbow when I do that because that's a Blackfoot uh, term for this area. Oh, anyway, okay. land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as, as a guest. Any mistakes mm. or misinterpretations are on me. And I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talked about today and want to talk, mm. call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1 855 242 3310. It is toll free. Open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can text if that's better. And non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, but listen in. I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your questions or your comments. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I'll give a quick shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa with one S, and Veronica. So, I have a wonderful guest on today that I'm super excited to just have a chat with. So, Sarah, welcome to my show. How would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Michelle, and hi to all the native Calgarian listeners. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, my uh, birth card, birth, birth name, English name is Sarah Brook Cadeau. I um, was gifted the name, well, I have three names, but <clears throat> my first name is it's a woman who makes knees shake which was also given to me in a ceremony and uh, i wasn't very happy with that name i wanted something um light and fluffy and you know like it's a great name rainbow. yeah thank you like <laughs> rain like like rainbow singer woman or you know she sure. brings flowers or something really sweet um, but uh, they had other things in mind and actually the spirits did say that's been your problem, as you don't accept who you are, and they have left me with it. And um, that was over ten years ago. Now, I was born on Coast Salish territories in this so-called city of Vancouver. I have been back and forth between Toronto, which is actually closer to my ancestral grounds, mm. back and forth to Toronto and Vancouver um, my whole life. Um, I've always uh, felt a little torn in either place, like I. I have my family in Toronto and then I have my my own I guess my own life and my own world here and I also have my first memories of childhood here. I'm um, even right now I'm looking out my window, which is very gratefully a view of the whole North Shore Mountains. Mm-hmm. And these are the mountains that I remember from my childhood and they're specifically just over the tsleil Watus Barard Band or Takaya, Children of Takaya, the, the the band of the people of Chief Dan George and uh, currently, um, of course, the amazing work by Reuben George and his family. Mm. Um, it's just like right above their territory. And it's it looks like a lady in the mountains, like it's like a bunch of mountains. But if you look at it, she's just a woman laying down. Mm. And that's that's what I remember from my childhood. And so I'm here now again for many years back on the West Coast and my people are my mother's side we were raised French uh, my last name is Cadeau, mm. which is a great last name but it's not actually our last name our last name was Cadot really? and we, we we have figured out why we were like so you know the the journey that I've been on is I knew my whole life we were Indigenous and like many half-breeds we passed as French so we did we could Yep. And we were also, even though we were registered, so my family is registered to Garden River, Ontario, which is Anishinaabe uh, reserve. I hate to use that word, but uh, an Anishinaabe, you know, compound uh, just beside Sault Ste Marie. Um, which is taken and I don't wanna I don't wanna take credit for that work of figuring all that out. That was my cousin Anne mm-hmm. Parkhill, who really has a linear ability that I don't have. I have developmental dyslexia. So she's like she's a great five teacher grade three teacher so she does like color coding and like amazing (laughs) she can do family trees so it turns out that my family is status which is was a real surprise but um we grew up french and the name cadeau beautiful name means gift means present Mm. and then as we did this extraction sort of of our roots of our family tree because i've been asking my family my whole life Mm -hmm. about the fact that grandpa looked native yeah to me it was very obvious we were native even my mother who's blonde and hazel eyed has these cheekbones you could hang a <laughs> you know hang a jacket <laughs> off of <laughs> yep and just like the set of her eyes and everything yeah um and you know i've been guest mixed my whole life yep. although in my family of my generation let's say of cousins we have people who look more native than me and we have people who look less native than me. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. And Mm -hmm. that's the same amount of blood you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just interesting how it, how it hits. And even in families, like, yeah, you can see brothers and sisters of mixed descent and one looks really native and the other doesn't, you know, so. That's me and my brother actually right there. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you understand deeply like what that, what that process is. And I'm sure Many of your listeners do as well. Right. So well many that's, kinda,
0: admit- that's exactly what we need to talk about. Like, I can't wait to tell you more about that from <laughs> my point of view, but please continue.
1: Yeah, so, so I had this uh, long process of, of identity issues and um, alcoholism in the family and a lot of trauma and really not knowing like even who my dad was, which is, I'll say now, my father is a father russian polish ashkenazi jew so his parents came over to flee ethnic violence in europe uh just before the pogrom um or just before the the holocaust so it was called the pogrom and that's how my boobie and sadie came over but i didn't know them and i only have a very limited relationship with my father that began in the third in my 30s Yep. and that's not really viable so wow. um so there's been a lot of identity issues, but my grandmother raised me, my mom's mom, and she was a Celt. And she would be like, You're a Celt, you don't have a drop of English in you. And so she was like fiercely anti-British, which I loved about her. And you know, her whole story about my grandfather who was dead, my she died when my mom was six was how she fell in love with a dark Frenchman. It was always a dark Frenchman. It wasn't a Frenchman. It was sort of like this weird n- winky nod, like dark Frenchman. And oh yeah, he was dark. I mean, my mom was blonde, but he sure wasn't. He was dark and he had dark hair and dark eyes. Sure. And so, um, like, and then she would say, my grandmother, bless her heart, my little five foot two Celt granny would say, you know, the only reason why I was allowed to marry this dark French man is because we were both Catholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, it was really kind of like, it's okay that he was like probably native as long as we both prayed at the same like altar, like even though he yep. was dark. yeah. So even in the story of my grandfather it, and their love <laughs> and how my mother came to be and my uncle came to be and, you know, my cousins came to be and myself, I came to be. It was always implied, but never spoken. And so now, you know, in my late 40s, I guess in about my middle 40s, um, I got connected to a cousin and through um, another cousin who I had been pestering, Catherine Thompson, who I had been pestering for years as a cousin to my mother. uh, So she's in my mom's generation to please like, what have you heard? What do you know? Like, constantly coming back to, her, kind of badgering her. Yep. What do we, you know, like? Can we? Do we? Has it changed? Is there any more information? And they were kind of saying, "Oh, you know, it's like ten generations back, or some kind of Pocahontas story." And I was like, "No." <laughs> 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 that's what we. <laughs> that's what we were told, or that's what we want to believe, or and I don't know if any of your listeners are. I'm sure. I'm sure. I don't say I don't need to. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know how absolutely confounding and horrific and triggering it is to get these, these informations dug up because the Indian agents and anyone who was brown was treated so poorly still to, to today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they changed our names. They didn't record women's birth, death, the marriages to Indian women. You know, it was very, very um, racist, obviously. Yeah. But that is evidence in the documentation yep so you know i feel sorry for all of our people who are trying to figure i mean there's so many reasons to have compassion for indigenous and indigenous mixed people but just the actual journey of trying to validate or verify where you're from is horrific um and triggering um because even in the paperwork it's obvious that we were not seen as worthy yeah. of even the most basic uh, recording of um, events yeah. in an accurate way, um, kind of like relegated to the dog house. Totally. Um, so we are uh, mixed French uh, and indigenous from many different names that go through the Cadot or cadot line. We have figured out that it was actually a great-great-great-grandfather that changed his name. I think it was great-great-grandfather. That changed his name from Cadot to Cadot because he murdered another half breed, and so wanted to change his name and kind of keep somewhere in the Cadot wheelhouse. So he changed it to Cadot, and it's one of the reasons why we've had such a hard time. <laughs> mm. Or he changed it to Cadot, or the Indian agent changed it. We don't know.
0: Right. Fair. But
1: somehow we got registered. Yeah. And 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 so we have the Dehems, the Brunos, we have the Hools. And, um, sorry, I didn't brush up on this before our chat, but we have like, no, I think ca- five, five recognized mixed blood family names that go through the Codot Codot line. Mm. And I finally want to just bring this around to the good part of the story, which is traveling up to the territory of my ancestors, which is Georgian Bay with my dear cousin, Anne on a fact finding mission. And we were going to go to Christian Island, which is sort of like this historical Métis scent, they call it Métis in Ontario. But it's not necessarily um, the Red River Cree settlement. It's like, a, you know, it's, it is a name, unfortunately, that's used for mixed blood. Right. And so we were going to go to this Métis Information Centre and, like, talk to a historian up there. But on our way, Nimki was being birthed, which is uh, Chrissy Belcourt and Isaac Murdoch and the Onaman Collective mm. uh, Language Camp Forever, Culture Camp Forever project that I had been you know, supporting in my own humble way for a couple of years through art and auctions. And so we were up in that territory when they announced they had been open for four, it was their fourth day. And I sent Christy and Isaac a message and I said, I'm, I'm here on a biological identity search. Can we come through? And they said, yes. And they opened, they welcomed to us. And so we show up and it's day four and we were, I'd never actually met Christine and Isaac, so it was also like nice to finally meet them. Of course, like for many of us, they—they are—I won't say heroes, but they're leaders for sure. I don't think it's good to make anyone a hero, um, but if I thought it was safe and healthy to say so, I would use that word. Yeah, <laughs> I, love, fair. I love them. I yep. love them. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to put anyone on a pedestal because then they get—they always get knocked off. and sure. <clears throat> It's so unfair what we do to our leaders. So right. Um. Yeah, it's inevitable. It's <laughs> not that I don't want people in leadership to be held accountable it's just the mob it's the mob mentality it's the uh, it's the uh, colonial um you know the, the the hand grenades of colonialism that are sort of implanted in us where we just decide that we're going to lash out
0: mm-hmm. absolutely
1: um and smear down and do that very uh what i like to call the the cheap the cheap witchcraft, the cheap, the cheap wizardry of public smear campaigns is not—it's not very medicinal. So, no, um, yes. and unfortunately, they've both gone through that um, as well. So, anyway, we show up at their camp. It's day four. We're helping build a kitchen, um, which still stands today. And Isaac, as a knowledge keeper for his territory, um, which he's been trained and you know situated to be. Um, just, I told him our story and I gave him our family names and he just looked at me and he said, you are 100% mixed blood from this territory. <laughs> He's like, you can go to the, to the center, you know, down the road and ask them, but I'm going to tell you that this is, this is your land. This is, this is where your family is from. And he said, all of your names are, are well-known mixed blood family name Mm -hmm. and they're all from here (laughs) so this is where you're from
0: oh awesome and
1: I mean it was just a huge um I mean Georgian Bay is so beautiful imagine finding out that you're from there I mean it's kind of a dream come true in a way Mm -hmm. and uh and so yeah it was beautiful and I and I was quite emotional and I just sort of said you know why did we leave and what happened there? And he said, you know, Sarah, the, the the half-breeds had, in some ways, the hardest time. Because you weren't, not that the Indian, he's not a big fan of the Indian Act. Everybody knows that. But he was like, you know, you didn't get nothing. He's like, you didn't get anything from the English, anything from the natives, anything from the French. So,
0: yeah, you know, if
1: you could leave, you did leave. And a lot of us, a lot of you did. And yep. so, you know, understanding that is going to help you. And I did. I, I took it at face value right away. And I'd been looking for some kind of um clarity, I mm-hmm. guess. and and that's that's been a huge anchor point for me is to to understand that our family was essentially on the run, like for three generations yeah. uh, to to desperately get away from being found out. and And I think that's weird because my my other side is Jewish, too. So I think I have that like kind of on both sides of mm-hmm. of just like, Can we pass as white? Can we pass as as one of? You know, are we going to get found out? The horrible feeling. Right.
0: I actually uh, experienced that a lot with my husband and his family, and his family is so ashamed of their lineage. So, and and it's really. Where are they from? It really sounds like they're originally from the uh, east side of Canada, maybe Boston area, and that they kept going back and forth from Boston to um, Rocky Mountain House, and they there's just a break in the family. Nobody wants to talk about what happened here. So I, I know my husband has that link and that his family went to Indian residential school, but we just can't mm. find the history like, of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's awful. It's and it's tragic. Well, what I say, cause I heard what you were saying where how you never got nothing. And I always told my husband, I'm like, no, you got all the intergenerational trauma. Probably <laughs> yeah. the intergenerational healing is in there somewhere if we can release it. But, you know you but you don't get the recognition at all and especially in today's day and age like talking about lateral violence there's so many people that are like you are you're white you're not native or you're an apple you know there's that constant dialogue happening and we have so many um like foster kids who were you know forced out of because of government policy from the 60s scoop that's still like force today and you know, these kids don't even know who they are and then they come across these really like hurt people who say these awful things about you're not actually native and (laughs) how do you heal when people are telling you who you're not or who you are when you know you are, right? So Oh a
1: hundred percent. And that that is so painful I've worked with alongside youth who, you know, are just coming out of foster care, just like you said. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they have other other factors, unwell parents, intergenerationally affected parents yeah. who didn't have the capacity to get on a healing path, you yeah. know, and, and you know, that's okay. And we're just, you know, what, like not even 20 years out of the first, the last yeah. school being closed and that legacy of erasure and diaspora and... Yes. Um, The the monstrosity of the Indian Act and all of those things. And so we have now this kind of strange hierarchy, um, which I understand. Like I make a point to whenever I'm asked to do work or speak, you know, obviously I'm white passing. So I always acknowledge that I have all the privilege of being white. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the work that I do get tasked to do is because I can speak to white privilege. I have it. Um, but maybe because of my bloodlines, not maybe because, well, I, I would, not everybody with my bloodlines cares. Mm. Yep. <laughs> if they can pass as white, they pass as white. And that's it. That's all.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And that's, and and I don't actually don't think I should really give the bandwidth to judge them for that either. Like nope. I don't, it's nope. not my journey. Totally. But yeah, like even in my own family, like there's cousins who embrace this and cousins who don't. Mm-hmm. And I get it. I like all I can say is I get it. I don't subscribe to it, but I get it. And so um I mean I, I do and I don't. I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to know? Like yeah. we're status. Like we have we're way <laughs> more Indian than we thought. Like we're Anishna. Like we have a fantastic beautiful lineage, like powerful ancestors that go right back to the first sunrise here. And we have Wow, just so much beautiful knowledge and wisdom that comes from the land and our language and even if we were always half breeds, whoever came in to make us a half breed wasn't a half-breed.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> you know, like those those ties, those Ojibwe Anishinaabe ties, they go back. Yeah. Just because we got mixed in. Like my French side was actually here in one of the first boats. Mm. So my French side was here. Uh, like at the beginning of the Voyager claims. So wow um to to you know open up those trading routes and to make good marriages, which is um, you know, a foundation of this country and um what makes Canada Canada. And you know, if there's anyone listening who is looking to research, I was suggested to read A Fair Country by John Rawson Saul a long time ago and that really helped. Mm. to um have a more uh, academic overview of um the marriage of the marriage of us how that happened how that created our country amazing
0: i love that yeah yeah well geez i don't even know where to start so (laughs) um i my first memories of life are are through domestic violence actually and um okay yeah so that that's literally where i started understanding life and um You know, so I have my white father and my native mom. And, you know, they would fight, fight, fight. And eventually it was bad enough that my dad was like, okay, I'm going to leave you at my parents. And we're going to sort this out. And then I never seen her again um, Mm. for for years. And I actually, I even asked him at one point in time, like, where's my mom? Did she die? And um, there was a lot of, have you ever heard of the term parental alienation? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... (laughs) It was that only really, you know, like taking the Canadian negative narrative of propaganda against Indigenous women times that by a million because of, you know, uh, parental alienation. And so I really had an awful point of view of Natives, Native people, my mom, Mm. all of those things. And I, you know, I didn't understand abuse so like i started counseling in my 20s and i don't know if i've ever not really been in counseling <laughs> um so even to today you know i i would say i am i will always be on a healing journey that will never stop and today i uh, facilitate um, mending broken hearts, and I go to mm. uh, Well Variety, which is based around the medicine mm. wheel. Now, mm. I actually don't identify as having a drinking problem. I've never um, <laughs> seen it as that ever. Um, so, but I I went because I wanted to understand the whole. Because if I'm doing mending broken hearts, and that trauma is based around a lot of the folks that I deal with, with missing and murdered Indigenous families, have a lot of um, issues that they that are linked back to addiction, which we all know is rooted in trauma. Um, you know, there's just this huge gap in uh, mental health services in Alberta, let alone specific for indigenous let alone specifically decolonized let alone around the medicine wheel (laughs) you know like we're going Mm -hmm. down a long track here of will we ever be having services for indigenous and the irony being everyone in Canada thinks that we not only have you know um, equal status but special status and all of these services and monies for us and it's like the opposite narrative (laughs) there actually we're oppressed people and the monies are actually not for us and we actually don't have services for us. And so it's just kind of trying to figure out where I fit in this, you know, um, I find that there's a lot of gatekeeping in nonprofit. I find that there's a lot of gatekeeping in general, um, a lot of white people have made a living off of being the white savior to indigenous people here in Calgary, anyway. So <laughs> there's a lot of like, where do I even fit when I'm native? I know my history, I understand other folks and like, you know, I go to seminars and such with folks that have masters and PhDs, we're in the washroom, they're not even washing their hands properly and I'm like, yeah, you're you're teaching me, are you? So, you know, <laughs> you know? so where do I fit in all of this? So, um, don't get me wrong. I so I run a book club on uh, actually Monday, so tomorrow night. So once a month I do a book club on uh whatever the Indigenous author of the day is, whatever the P- Calgary Public Library can get for us. And then, um, and then we switch the next month into a section of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So that way we're always, our, you know, I'm focusing with, uh, it's mainly settlers that are there. Uh, a few times natives have come to kind of, you know, talk about issues. But you know what's funny? There are a lot of natives that come that, like you said, you know, I don't want to judge them for where they're at, but they'll sit there with their arms crossed and being like, I don't like that word colonialism, you know, and, and <laughs> right? Oh, so, yeah, Sorry about that. You
1: well, have weird feelings,
0: right? Well, they're that's mm-hmm. where they are on their journey, where they're just not willing to acknowledge any of that stuff, and that's okay. But are um, these white
1: folks who feel that way?
0: No, that's usually not natives, actually. Who oh, feel that way. I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, then so I don't judge them. That,
1: that tone with them. Yeah. I, if it was a white person, though, I would have.
0: No, if they're white, I just tell them to leave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, but, I'm really glad that yeah. I checked that because I was like, oh, no, what if they're indigenous and struggling? OK, no, I, but I've had, for that. <laughs> like, I've had that
0: from white people where they're not ready to hear this either. So they've left. Um, And, you know, I had like one person who was like, this isn't a safe place for Catholics and I just okay well you know you go on your journey and and I hope you find a place that's safe enough for you so you know she wasn't willing to learn from me at all and understand her you know role as an oppressor so anyway um you know, so that we do the book club once a month. Um, I've been, you know, brought into this. My husband, he was the one who forced me to do the podcast, which I, I'm so grateful he did. But he also does two other podcasts. And one of the podcasts he does is um, a, a recovery one. And they kind of brought me in and introduced me to uh, the Well, or I guess the, um, not Well Bridie, but the White Bison Society. Um, mm. Yeah. So have you heard about the White Bison Society?
1: It's bringing a bell. It's like out there with, the, the, you know, those those famous Blackfoot and and Sarcy And like, <laughs> it, it's just it's reminding me of like that, that really secret society of the grandmothers that b- pull out their bundles. Like, I feel Aww, like it's in that. I, love I feel that. like it's in that, that, that plains just right over the mountains thing that you guys got going on over there
0: well i wish i could claim that as mine but i sure can't um yeah you're (laughs) totally right though like there's a lot of societies here that um you know that's how they do their education system like if you first you become a chickadee when you're little and then you graduate to an eagle and you know you kind of go through their societies in that way and they're so honored and uh, well respected here to me that's the PhD system of indigenous for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have a lot of respect for the Blackfoot for what they do there. Um, But the white bison society is uh, it's, I would say it's like the TRC in the U S and I don't say that lightly. Um, So a fellow named Don Coyas, he has this like hoop of a hundred Eagle feathers and mm. yeah, so what happened was, um, so in the States they call it, uh, not Indian residential schools, but boarding schools. And a lot of the elders opened up their wounds about, you know, the exact same problems that we experienced here with the TRC. So this Eagle hoop, Eagle feathered hoop went to all of the elders all across the States. And from that, they developed the medicine wheel, well, variety, um, you know, uh, education system. So I don't know about you, but I have met a lot of unhealthy elders that are still on their journeys of healing. And um, because of that, I was like, okay, well, who's Don Coyas and, and what, what more about him? So I was trying to research. And I talked to my friend Harlan Pruden, who you might know, actually. He's in your area.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Harlan and I have been circling each other for about you know, four or five years now. But I've still never. Oh, no, that's not true. I met him once. Okay. Um, But I know who he is. I mean, his work is is legend. So, yes, I do know Harlan Pruden. He's not an actual friend of mine, but it would be nice if he was. Hey, Harlan, give me a (laughs) call. I'm sure he'd love to. I'll tell him. I'll tell him to listen to this
0: podcast. So
1: Tell him. him. Hey, Harlan, if you're listening, I have a signed (laughs) copy of Shame and Prejudice uh, signed off by Kent himself, which says that I'm fucking awesome. So you should... You should just love me too, right? If, if we can do that, right? If Tech totally. says I'm cool, Harlan, you should come and, and give this old two spirit a, a call. Okay, <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. That's so fabulous. <laughs> you know, I was really lucky to meet him because one of the United
0: Churches here who are totally affirming brought him as a speaker. And because I'm a part Ooh. of Voices, um, voices here in Calgary is this organization that talked about racism in the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community. And, um, it's really unpopular conversation. Let me tell you, and I identify as straight and cis, but because everyone needed to decolonize their thinking, if like there were so many, you know, uh, newer Canadians or second generation Canadians that were racialized that had no concept of indigenous issues at all. Right. So, I kind of came in to talk about that because from my perspective, working with missing and murdered indigenous families, to me, the most marginalized people are two spirit. And I see that within my own family because we have transgender cousins who are Mm -hmm. like up against you know intergenerational trauma residential schools homophobia transphobia within our own family right um one of my episodes actually has one of my cousins on there and we're talking about um you know the work that they're doing out in ontario things like that so anyway anyway um because of my association with two spirit or with um voices and talk and trying to advocate about two spirit issues um you know, it just was natural. I ended up in, in voices and my daughter, who's 12, is not identifying as straight. So, you know, I just know this will be a lifelong journey for me. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Mm-hmm. So Harlan comes to Cal- Calgary and we meet him. And he did a free outreach for all of the racialized people on, um, you know, how to talk to media. Because he is the founder mm-hmm. of the Two-Spirit Journal. He That's his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I kind of on the, on the side said hey, have you heard of this Don Coyas guy? And he was like, oh my God, let me tell you. So Mm. he said that when Don was um, putting together the material for White Bison Society, um, and this is all in the States, that they originally had this huge meeting and in the meeting in the middle were all the two spirits and they were all looking around, feeling a little nervous. And, you know, finally when Don took the mic, he was like focusing on the two spirits saying these are our honored guests. Um, any work that we do has to be centered around their voices. So everybody felt relief. And that's how the, the programming was developed, which was good because I was quite concerned um, back to, you know, homophobia, transphobia taught to our elders through Indian residential school that they, you know, there's a lot of shaming based on gender, based on all of that. So and I wanted to avoid all of that. So I was really grateful that Harlan told me that. And one of the coolest stories he said is that he was hired by Obama um, to do a lot of the work that he was doing and then fired by Trump, which he's incredibly proud of. So I just love yeah, Harlan to pieces. Boy,
1: yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is that it? A feather in your chapeau. Right? For sure. Yes. A hundred. A hundred. Oh uh-huh. my gosh. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, so this
0: White Bison Society stuff I feel really good about doing and um, knowing that it's quality programming because, uh, you know, as much as I try really hard to decolonize, I really love, you know, books and programs and facilitating through a book and being like, okay, this is what we do. Step one, two, three. Um, I used to draft Wells and Pipeline um sites so for me um, oh hey. like that's like my brain is like you know one plus one equals two and that's just how i think so um, oh
1: you've got the opposite brain to me then
0: there you go there you go
1: yeah <laughs> i'm really on un- Like i can do one plus one equals two but that's about it
0: Gotcha, yeah, gotcha. We get into
1: like any more linear thing. That's why my cousin had to do our family tree and the color coded and all the things. It's, the longer she talks, the more my eyes roll back. Like I I literally can't follow that kind of linear thought very well. But yeah. Fair. I, I have enough of it memorized to be able to talk to you about my family line, but I can't do that <laughs> other that other stuff. So good for you.
0: That's so cool. Well, but you know what? Here, I'll tell you my barriers with that is that like my daughter is very, oh, well, not just my daughter, the whole next generation is just so out of the box thinking and it takes everything I have not to put her back in a box, you know, like, mm. you know, um, you want to find a partner, you want to get married, you want to start your RESPs, you want to start your RRSPs, you want to, you know, buy property and you want to have a good job and you want a union job so you get a good, uh, you know, like, I have to stop myself from that because... That's not actually how the world works. Just because I was taught that doesn't mean that's real. <laughs> so for me, it's actually trying to let her be her and, you know, not forcing her to go to university to take what I want her to take, but for her to figure out what it is she wants to take. And if that means going to art school, knowing that's totally legitimate. And it was like you were, t- you referenced back to Christy Belcourt and Isaac Murdoch, like, here are two amazing individuals who do amazing work that just doesn't just inspire a person, but it, it is art and it tells a story of our people and I think will be forever. Um, it, it was Christy mm. who did the walking with our sisters uh, bundle. And mm-hmm. I was so I was running for um, municipal elections, so I knew I wasn't going to be in the whole board. You know, I think it took three years to get it here. Thanks to some amazing work from the <laughs> folks here, and I was in the middle of running for the municipal okay, election, yeah. so I I kind of came at the very tail end of it. So I did mm-hmm. I missed a lot of you know lead up build up. They did lots of fundraisers. I tried to buy what I could yeah. when um they were doing what the fundraising. But anyway, um that was where I really first really met her, and um, mm. the uh, a friend of mine had some. Uh, tattooing done in in her house. Yeah. So I got to uh-huh. witness that ceremony, which was amazing, mm. just amazing. So beautiful. It really was. So beautiful. So I see so much more, and actually, that's what gave me permission to really feel comfortable tattooing my arms, because uh, again, did you
1: self tattoo or did you get someone to tattoo for you?
0: I got somebody to do it for me. Um, oh, good for you. Yeah. Sorry, so- the way
1: that you said that just gave me pause and made me think. Holy crap, did she uh, <laughs> handgun herself there or, or poke herself there? No, wow. I
0: wish I was that brave. Um, but what happened was you that
1: gifted. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> you, not that person. You want to have a bit of You better have a little art bundle anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hope. If not, they're your arms. So Oh have my at gosh, it.
0: yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes. No. Yeah. No, it, I I think I I just come from that generation where um, you know, you'd never like tattoos are bad and oh oh, yeah yeah so it was really kind of that decolonizing and then you know even when I was you know 18 I was like well I guess tattoos aren't that bad as long as you put them in a place that you can cover
1: them up right
0: and totally uh,
1: and that's been my reasoning with the 12 tattoos that I had until recently (laughs) tell me
0: that story I'd love to hear your story first
1: well um what I wanted to say is um yeah, on the subject of, of tattooing is, you know, and decolonizing de- is when my when I was a child, I had I have had three fathers, uh, one of them who made me who I, again, never saw again. And then I or never, you know, saw much until I was in my in my 30s. And that's not a viable relationship. But um, I had um, my adopted dad who raised me and I, I owe him a great deal. And um, he he pointed out some women downtown in Toronto when I was about. I'm going to say 10 Mm -hmm. and we were driving by and I'm going to say it was a low income part of town. Uh, I don't remember if they were uh, BIPOC people. I don't remember that at all. I just remember my dad saying to me kind of really sternly, don't grow old and be like that with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and tattoos out all over the place. Oh boy. And it was really like, you know, and, and, Amongst other things, it's, 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 it's been a barrier. Like, I, I have big tattoos now, and uh, some of them are visible. Most of them aren't visible. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of that. But but what I I managed to do is when we went to Nim Bakong, I asked Christy and Isaac if we could... Um, I really wanted a, a Mishu Pishu, which is um, one of our... Are spectacular beings um, of 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 uh, Ojibwe or Anishinaabe um, teachings, the storytelling uh, figures of our of, of our ancestry. And um, I had my moon, so I was unable to get hand poked at that time. Mm. And I've uh, been other people have said that they will hand poke me, uh, and it just hasn't happened. But when I was in Toronto last. Um, I had a little date with one of my youth relatives, Nanook real, who is, um, you know, Inuit and also Isaac's adopted uh, child. Mm-hmm. And they do the Feeding Canada Inuit food um, raising. Um, they're very, very active as a youth, visible youth leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also, you know, like I said, Isaac's adopted child daughter. He does call call them her daughter but but um i believe she identifies as non-binary mm. so they identify as non-binary but i guess i i guess they may be like that isaac adopted them as a daughter so mm. that's between them um sure. or child i'll have to get that clear but um nanook ta- tattooed me which was amazing um in a visible place so on the inside of my forearm and i have also on my 40th birthday i got six um the same symbol six times at, at three different points on my body so mm. my my right toe my left my left and right big toes in a black and white it's a it's a medicine cross it's the same thing I've been drawing my whole life I don't really draw but I doodle mm. and I've been I've been doodling this well of course it turned into <laughs> it's a medicine wheel right I've been doodling that my whole life that's the only doodle I do plus lightning bolts stars and kind of hearts and I'm I'm not an artist, but I've 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 spent hours doodling these things almost obsessively, I guess, um, especially when I talk on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I I had Nanook do up a little, it's a lightning bolt with a bunch of stars and hearts and lines kind of going off of it, like pew pew pew. And uh, that's actually the sound that I made when I explained it to her. And I was like, they've got to go like, and so, um, (laughs) and so Nanook did that while we were watching. So, sort of like meta, I guess you could say, because we were watching the skin indigenous episode of Nanook being tattooed by Christine Isaac at at Nimki (laughs) Ejubicon while they were talking about the residential school that they visited and like so I'm crying being tattooed by Nanook and and watching their journey with their adopted family on my homeland it was just really it was really interesting so that was and then I got you know I have some I have a big piece that I had started by somebody who I didn't want to finish the work on me yeah and so it's It's remained unfinished, but it's, it's quite big. And it was designed by uh, Carolyn Victor, who is a solo uh, person of who I admire greatly. And they do a lot of advocacy work for their nation, but they also um, are an incredible artist, like renowned, like a lot of Mm -hmm. the Coast Salish art community uh, works are done, um, you know, featuring their work Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, they were also part of a group called Rapture Rising with Teresa Point. Uh, so one of the, the, the first Coast Salish Femme-C duos. Um, that was quite a while ago, um, but they, but uh, Teresa Point has gone on to become Kalia and has their own solo career. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, it's just tied into the, to the, um, the host nation people that I'm grateful to uh, live and work amongst and, and around. So um so yeah, so that's my little my little dividend on tattooing and and I hope to have more and especially I'm looking at as I approach 50, you know, I'm looking at maybe having my hands done to really um take that power back. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm looking at um whatever comes up for me. Uh and I also had my my dear sister and colleague I guess you could say we do quite a bit of work together but she's really one of my best friends Audrey Siegel who's a Musqueam warrior and leader um, she just had a, a little vision of what my hand tattoos are that they just haven't been inked yet so mm. I'm gonna look at that hopefully with Christy and just check to see what those symbols mean in my Anishinaabe mythology or what my my nation um, would see or interpret with those symbols that Audrey saw in my hand mm. Um and often, I mean, some some of my tattoos were really very pointed and designed by me. Well, they're all, they've all been designed by me. Like, there's never been anything that I, I can't draw for shit. Like I said, I, I just do doodles. <laughs> I draw stick figures, okay? Like, I, I am not that. an artist. <laughs> yeah, like, when I look at people who can draw, I'm like, wow. You know, because my drawing really, really does kind of look like a three-year-old. And um, I just don't have that gift. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've, I have a, a clear idea of how I'd like to be marked. And I started to be marked when I was 16. And I had my first tattoo just on my upper butt cheek. Mm. Uh, my last for, for female is I did a little planet Earth with mother underneath because I thought at that time in the 80s, the peace symbol was <clears throat> just rocking rocking it that was that you know the the 20 <laughs> years from the summer of love anniversary and i remember doing acid in the rain at at uh, nathan phillips square for the for the beatles 20 year anniversary i mean i was there i i don't really remember a lot of it because i was so stoned yeah oh and by the way i'm i'm 15 years clean and sober hey
0: congratulations so, that's awesome yeah
1: i did that work actually in AA. And it was uh, my dear sister, Cynthia Bird, my Nahiao sister, who's passed on. Um, unfortunately, she's gone home, but it was Cynthia who brought me to my first sweat and Cynthia who gave me my first bundle. And she was Cree and really determined that I was mixed blood, she said um you're a cadeau and that's a well-known mixed blood name in Ontario mm. and uh, she worked at a an office called Misway Beak which was an employment office and she said I I work with a lot of cadots and cadots like mm-hmm. um and so that was uh that was my first kind of introduction in a way after looking for ceremony for years started looking for ceremony Right around the time I got that first tattoo of Mother Earth, and I rejected the peace symbol because I thought, well, what if it goes out of style again? Which of course it did. <laughs> and um, I said, what's something that will be permanent? Will be my permanent love, my permanent symbol. If I had one symbol, yep. what would it be? And I realized it was the planet in her blue and green um, beauty from mm. space. And um, and so that's so that was my first tattoo. And, wow. uh, and I've had several since, <laughs> but uh, i've I've staggered them mm-hmm. And even the uh, the sticks that I got on my birthday, I or on my fortieth birthday, I've got these black and white little dots. I've got two and one on each ear, one on each big foot, and one on my wrist. Mm. But because the, the white ones don't really show up, so if you're really paying attention, it just looks like one big toe and then on the opposite side of this, my body, my wrist, and then on the opposite side of my body again my ear cool. but um that was funny because I realized that I had I had had it had taken me 20 years to get six tattoos and then 20 minutes to get another six <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was the, the one time where I really felt like my ratio was on a rapid increase yeah but um I kind of just keep staggering them yeah but I definitely feel like it's time for me to get some work done, I've had um, I've had some of my youth say that I should get the uh, the chin marker for truth, truth speaker. Mm. I haven't actually spoken that much about some of the work that I do. And maybe I'll spend a little bit of time talking about it now. But um, yeah, yeah I, I I think about that. And I, I've been meaning to for two years now. Just, just shows you I'm not really on it. On some things I don't do right away, other things I do right away. But I've been meaning to just get a little black eyeliner and just do like a teeny little, you know, mark down there and just see how is that sitting with me? How's that sitting with my face? How's that sitting with with me? Uh, I love all the face tattoos that I'm seeing, but again, as a as a white coated, white passing woman, I, I sometimes I worry about overstepping. Um, specifically, I think I started earlier by saying. When I'm asked to speak, I identify obviously with my Anishinaabe lineage, but I list all my other lineage. And I also say like, I have all the privileges of being white and I can't speak to being raised on a reserve. Mm -hmm. Although my last, my first seven years were quite chaotic. And I did, I did spend several you know nights alone in motels while my mom was out um, doing what she did at that time. And we were in poverty and addiction and it, it was quite chaotic mm-hmm. and dangerous and a lot of neglect um, my mother went on to become very successful so it's but my my imprint of my childhood is is very much on par essentially with what a lot of our more visibly indigenous youth have gone through
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in terms of being left alone of having a mother who brings unsafe people into small spaces in a blackout, you know, I've done all that. I've mm-hmm. had all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's difficult when you match it to the life that we lived from the age of eight or nine on, which was quite wealthy, but it was, it was actually more alcoholic. It was just um, privileged,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but I didn't have any emotional security or any kind of um, health uh, <clears throat> focusing or child focusing it was all focused on parentalizing um, a drunk parent Mm. and so yeah so that was that so what I do currently is I work um, it's funny I'm, I'm gonna say that it's more towards the end what I would assume is sort of towards the end of our conversation but What I do currently or what I've been doing for the last 10 years is I do trauma release work mostly on reserves. Mm. I've always focused on the reserves because that's where I was told to focus. Mm. I didn't think it was possible when I heard, you know, what you could say is my grandmother's voice telling me I was gonna work on reserves. I'd been studying um, a little gift in my hands off and on since again, since I was 16 or or so and knew when I was a child that I had a little extra something going on. Mm. And so um, I think a lot of people have that gift when they're children Mm -hmm. and um, mine kept coming in and out. And uh, as I was aging and also working with my own addiction and then getting sober. So as I got sober, I was directed through, I guess you could say my grandmother voice told me about Ten or eleven summers ago, when I first came, with coming back from a Sundance in Manitoba, that uh, they said uh, you're going to work on reserves, granddaughter, and I was like, I'm not going to work on reserves. I'm not native enough. I'm not talented enough. La 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 la. And uh, within a year, I had been referred to a reserve through through Michelle Thrush actually and mm. Carmen Moore, who are two amazing. Um, Indigenous role models and actresses whom I uh, respect and admire a lot. And I still have an ongoing friendship with Carmen. And um, and uh, I'm very close with Michelle's best friend. So I, I'm still, you know, very much in gratitude to those women for their referrals. And she referred me to a reserve in Interior Salish Territory, a.k.a. the Silk Nation or the Okanagan. And I've been working essentially in that area with that those communities for 10 years. Wow. Um, and I work, uh, I work a a certain percentage of the months, uh, out there and then I come back to Coast Salish territory. So in a way I kind of feel like a feather runner. Like I, I go there and I do that work and then I come back here and do organizing. Um, in the last three years, I've really stepped up as a community organizer. It's not a new job. It's just something that I put down, I guess, for a while,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: especially around getting sober, um. I left my career as an MC and a vocalist behind to get sober. I used to do a lot of community organizing around arts and uh, resistance work. I did uh, the first song ever dedicated to the women taken from the east side um, with Ndidi Cascade, who's a beautiful um, Nigerian mixed MC, a really well regarded MC. About 20 years ago, we did a song called um, And the Silence, and it was uh, an anthem for women taken from the downtown east side. So that was something that um, you know I co-created or had the vision for, and then brought in the, the players. And you know I've always been very vocal about MMIW um, and MMIW uh, Two Spirit and girls. Um, And so with my work that I do on reserves, I'm doing a lot of work with trauma release and a lot of work with sex, sex abuse survivors. Mm -hmm. And um, I've become over 30 years of study on like, I guess you could say the reclamation of women's bundles. Mm -hmm. I've been really obsessed and kind of driven by. What happened to our songs? What happened to our ceremonies? How come, like even not really being, able, I, I've, been, I've been self-identifying as Métis for a long time, but quite shyly, mm-hmm. because I didn't know if we were Métis Métis or some lost mix of mm-hmm. something with mm-hmm. French. And I, I didn't really know how heated the politics were uh, rationally. I just knew internally that that was an important thing to know. Yep. And because I didn't know, I didn't want to use the word Métis, but I still did, like, quietly. Um, Like, some of my Native MC friends that I made 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago now, who were, you know, little Native youth movement MCs and, like, quite quite active in the, uh, not only in the arts community, but the resistance community, I identified as Métis with them. Now, you know, 20, 25 years later, it's so nice to be able to say to them, you know, where I'm from. Sure. And like, I know that they're happy for me, because even if they look browner and they have more access to their own heritage, their own ancestry than I've had, they still love me enough and, and also probably appreciate enough how many mixed people suffer. Um, and then where's yep. where is our place? Where is our place and what what am I allowed to say and do? Yep. Um, how do kids that were 60s scoop survivors and foster Foster kids of today, how do they relate to their culture when they've been completely removed from it? Yep. I kind of identify more with a '60s scooper than uh, somebody who grew up on a res, You know, a hundred percent because Same. I, uh, yeah, our yep. family was was definitively into. Silence, refreshment and, and erasure for our own safety and protection. And I, I don't begrudge my my relatives that my 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 Cadeau mm-hmm. ancestors, my great great, my great grandparents, my grandparents did very well as French Canadians, right? Very well. Awesome. My grandfather Alvin Cadeau was the youngest, and I love this because I can say it for him now. But he was the youngest ever, quote unquote, French. The youngest and first, so two two uh history breakers there, history makers. The youngest and the French leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. And mm. now we can say he was also the youngest, the Frenchest and the most nativist <laughs> 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 leader, like he was an Ojibwe man, you know? And yeah. He unfortunately died tragically very young. You know, oh. he went into a hospital on Thursday and died the following Sunday of leukemia. But he was slated to be the prime minister of Canada. There was a lot of talk about how, how impressive his arc was and that there was really no limits on him. Mm. And he did that because he could, because he was a quote unquote French Canadian. Right. But as as it goes back to our story, my family story, the legend of my, my grandfather Alvin and his wife, my grandmother, the Celt Alice Mary, it's really about him being a dark Frenchman. And so I want to claim that. I want to state that for the record that Alvin Cadeau wasn't just the the, the first French and the youngest ever leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. He was also an Ojibwe man. And I want to say that. Yeah. It feels really good to be able to say that and that, you know, he was clean cut. He used to work during the day and then take English lessons at night. He had very strong visions of what his career would be, that he had aspirations, that he was ambitious hardworking and focused and he had a I guess you could say a leadership bundle and then his father who was also um, a Peter Cadeau I think the last of about four Peter Cadeaus in a row um, my great great grandfather Peter Cadeau was the head of the carpentry union and was an organizer and a a community man as well Mm. and also an Ojibwe man so I would like to state now, currently, as an as uh, speaking as one of their descendants um, on behalf of my ancestors, that I too do a lot of organizing for my community as a guest on Coast Salish land. In a way, it kind of started with going back to my territory and meeting Christy and Isaac, and and I really see that now that to have that affirmed was in a way it gave me permission. Mm. To begin to state who my people were, where I'm from, and that my my family moved migrationally around that bay. Yeah. Um. And then since then they they I I volunteered to organize their art build out here, mm-hmm. and I asked permission first from uh, three different uh, I can't call them matriarchs because out here that's a really that's a designated title, and it's it's um, as much as we mean it in a good way, we can't use the word matriarch on Coast Salish territory or actually anywhere through unceded, uh, what they call British Columbia, because the clan systems are still alive here, which is what we're seeing in Wet'suwet'en. This mm-hmm. is a clan system yeah. of matriarchs who are guiding the chiefs, and the chiefs are the public face of the matriarchs' um, roles as the, as the holders. Mm-hmm. But it's the matriarchs who make those decisions. So I asked three Coast Salish lead women i guess you could say if they would mind if i did this as a as an envoy from their from the territory that Christine and isaac live on is it okay if i organize for their art build out here mm-hmm. and they're like we don't want to do it <laughs> so go ahead You're busy. <laughs> and um and so i did and that's another funny thing right like when you, know, you ask permission like from people who you see as our leaders it's important to ask permission but it's also Almost 100%, I see quite a bit of of fatigue, right? That people are like, would you please do that?
0: Yeah, pretty (laughs)
1: much. Like, thanks for asking. That's really important and duly noted. Yeah. But the answer is no, I'm not able to do this. So, can you?
0: No, but for real, that's a even with the Wasutuan rallies, like, I seen a native woman ask, like, when's the next rally? Why aren't you guys doing more? And I was kind of laughing. I'm like, I don't know, maybe you could step up. (laughs) You know, that would be great. But, you know, there's protocol we have to follow before we can just, like, have a rally. And um, so I I understand what you're saying, but I, I just think it's hysterical because... Fatigue is real, uh, number one. But number two, (laughs) like I actually found it was, uh, you know, um, Sylvia McAdam, who really wouldn't during I Don't Know More telling us all that we have that spark in us, right? That we we all are able to do a lot more than we give ourselves credit and permission for. So, yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, a, a big movement for me to realize that I need to own who I am. And I need to, you know, be confident in what I'm saying, because I knew what I was saying was the right thing. Yeah. It was for, you know, human rights and and, you know, Canada claims to stand for human rights. Right. So that's kind of <laughs> where I started my conversation. And now, today, well, you know,
1: Justin Trudeau says he's a feminist. So, you know, you can say whatever you want.
0: Yeah, obviously. <laughs>
1: Hiring a bunch of gatekeeper women who do your dirty work so you have a vagina on it doesn't really count as a feminist. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, I remember the first year we were elected, it was 2015, and um, it was like International Women's Day. And his wife came out and meant to say, let's lift up the men that are really great feminists. And even the (laughs) Liberal Party were like, oh, you know, let's let's not. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) you know let's not do that so uh yeah that was uh i don't know it it was really hard because harper was so awful and evil like the bar Mm -hmm. was so low that yeah sure was you know and and we all had our hesitations about justin don't get me wrong but we had Mm -hmm. to get rid of harper like that was the goal we have got to get rid of these guys so we did yeah i
1: remember noticing you were a liberal and i was gonna unfollow you at some point i was like oh god she's She's a proudly liberal woman. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah,
0: I know. Isn't that funny? But it's because I live (laughs) in a different world than the rest of Canada. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. live in a conservative world. So like just to give give people an idea of how bad it is. So all of the people that are in downtown Calgary are told by their bosses, here are your signs that say, I love oil and gas. You take the afternoon off to go protest Justin Trudeau and Rachel Nolly." Like, they're told that by their bosses. So, like, for you to not be a conservative in Calgary is, like, I don't know, it, it's the worst thing in the planet, right? And for me, I wanted to work on systemic change, and at least by being liberal, I had that platform to be able to talk about it, because here, the conservatives rule, so like I would knock on the door and they would like you know not just slam in the door on me but like punch me in the face kick me down the stairs and then slam the door and it's like okay we have got to fight this bullshit who are the Tories worst enemies So that's how I became yeah. a liberal and um only because here in Calgary it's uh it's a different ball of wax than every, everywhere else. Like, I understand where other people are coming from. My own uncle, um, he was uh, part of the union up in Yellowknife. And, you know, I have one uncle who's an NDPer, one auntie who's a liberal. Um, a lot of my Indigenous side was liberal. And so it was accepted for me. But, I mean, I'm coming from an ultra-conservative family with ultra-conservative Catholic views you know and and for me i'm like the liberal of the family like you know well i don't know if we have to follow that and everybody's like clutching their pearls what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> So, and actually, going down the red road, there's a lot of my family that doesn't actually think I should be doing this at all, that I should be working oh, harder God. at fitting oh, in. Oh, God. Oh,
1: Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that my, I know that my, especially my dear cousin, I doubt he'll ever hear this, but Rob, he's like the most like my brother and... Um, you know, he's he's interested in in grandpas, in, in who we are, but he's married to a Sikh woman. His children are brown. They're already facing a shit ton yeah. in Ford country out there. Sure. So, you know, like, I don't I don't need to belabor the point. Like, he's married to a beautiful Sikh woman. Like, they have mixed-race children who are visibly mixed-race. So, I don't need to, like, go on about, you know, how important it is to claim our identity. Like, he's working with that in his bundle right now. He's got three young girls in a in a society that really treats young brown girls way worse so you know um I don't I again it just feels preachy like it feels preachy to be like but what's interesting is like and I've been I've been the the weird one forever I've been I've been doing ceremonies I went to India and Europe for five years you know I've I've always kind of been on this spiritual seek and now that I you know I know my my people you could say Mm -hmm. it's narrowed it down a lot for me But it's also fraught with issues because I'm white passing. And I also wonder how much I should be out in ceremonies. And I see people who aren't white passing, who are just plain old white, sometimes have a much better time than me. And uh, I I feel like that mixed blood thing is real. Like, I really struggle with um, placement. Like, I, I, I struggle in ways that I don't think white people with money do, you know, who come in and can support. Yep. And so they become financial sponsors and um, the work that I do for ceremony or the work that I do for my community, like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want a virtue signal, but one of the things that came out of organizing the art build out here for Christy and Isaac, which was very successful, we made about 400, 500 banners, which have since gone to the appropriate agencies to hold. Um, Cause I couldn't do that part of the bundle. I couldn't um, hold onto the, to the work Mm -hmm. i did the organizing along with uh jennifer brusso who's also isaac's cousin and also from our territory i did that work um, also with some other helpers um, not just me and jennifer but i did a lot of the work and i did a lot of the before during and after work so Mm -hmm. i passed those banners on but what came out of that was christy and isaac put me forward to the manual family to organize their to help with their auctions Mm -hmm. and so i have um, they, I have known Kanahus, um, not intimately, but uh, peripherally through the Native Youth Movement for, like again, over 20 years. And um, Kanahus and Mayuk, her twin, and her younger sister, Snutetqua, we were on a, a conference call with Christy and Isaac, and they gave me the go-ahead. And I've been working with Snutetqua for two years doing their fundraisers, which has been awesome. So I've helped to raise quite a bit of money for that family, the Tiny House Warriors, to continue their um, land Back Camp, which is to actively stand in the way of the TMX pipeline in their territory, which is a Shipwepic territory, also known in, in English as Shushwap. And um, they have, uh, through a lot of different supports, not just auctions, they have managed to build five uh, houses, tiny houses that stand in the way of the TMX pipeline and that are uh, actively stopping a man camp from building. From, from building. Mm. And I've been doing uh, just tons of organizing. Like, actually, I'm going to have to wrap this up because I've myself and Audrey Siegel from Musqueam. And in in conjunction with her, with the actual uh, matriarchs of her territory, the Musqueam people, the Point sisters, um, we are coordinating the organizers, all the youth organizers and some of the orgs to come together today to do a debrief, a defrag and to center especially visibly Indigenous youth, trans two-spirit um, Crips as well, like our, our relatives who are in wheelchairs, basically to center their safety as uh, far-right um, rhetoric gets more heated because white supremacists are just looking for blockades to dump their toxic vitriolic poison onto. They're just looking at this point for someone to unleash. And if it's a young Indigenous woman or a young Indigenous queer person, that's all the better. Yep. Um, they'll also lash out at white folks who are blockading right now, but they'll have a special amount of poison and possible violence aimed at our youth. Yeah. So I, I am actually um, in organizational mode today. I'm working with uh, luckily, gratefully going to be hosting um, uh, not myself, but part of part of the anti coalition, I guess you could say that's bringing in the youth mm. and uh, we've asked the organizers that are representing agencies To stay quiet other than to tell us um, what they can offer the BIPOC youth (laughs) and what dates their organizations are hosting rallies so we can um, give our youth organizers a break. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if there's a big action being hosted by, I don't want to name who's coming, but by one of the bigger groups that have funding that are white centered, you know, like let them take the labor for that day. Mm -hmm. Um, Let our youth have a break. Yep. And, you know, and just to start working collaboratively with scheduling and making sure we have legal observers, making sure that we're centering on the wet message, keeping people on the microphone focus, yeah. um, you know, keeping people who are maybe unwell, you know, on the periphery so that we can have people's participation. But, you know, sometimes people feel like a little bit like they're taken hostage and um, really trying to keep that down as the pressure grows mm-hmm. and people get more tired. Um, and so, yeah, we're just trying to do that today. So that's just one of the many things that I do on my volunteer time. Um, and, uh, I've also just started, um, a council that I'm calling, um, the Women's Warrior and Leadership Council, West Coast edition, Coast Salish lands edition. Mm. Um, we had our first meeting to talk about how to strategically, um, sort of do some strategic anti-violence work that's really cutting edge with men. Yep. And so we invited, and and this is also to wake up the the council fires. So how do you do that as a multi-nation group within Coast Salish land, Coast Salish law? Yep. And so that's been a, a really interesting conversation about getting permission and how to do this in a good way. Um, and obviously we do have um, Coast Salish women on our warrior council. And so we're, we're, we're working on how to, uh, help to birth or midwife, men's councils, youth councils, and two-spirit councils. And, of course, transgender women are welcome to sit with us or on the two-spirit council. We can't tell them where to sit and we're just h- hoping that they come and join us. And um, and so, yeah, that's something else that's, that's happening because we've had awesome. several instances recently of predator alerts happening within the ceremonial community yep. and, and finding it really difficult to Organize conversations with, unfortunately, with with male ceremonial keepers who always want to do the best, but that there's still like some maybe some entitlement there. Yep, and um, healing and, <laughs> and healing. Yeah, and it's like me, like I get it because I'm white. I'm white passing. And so I get that it's really difficult when you're swimming in it to yeah. really know that you're like in that privilege ocean. Yeah. Um. And so it's the same with our men. When we talk to our men about like somebody who may have been on the national most wanted list up until a year ago. Mm. And now that they're sober, they're fine. And it's like, well, can we decide that?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um. And like, no, like even in AA, <laughs> like where it's even in AA where it's like the most Predator heavy population Possible yeah. um, They say what do you get when you sober up a Horse thief yeah. you know you get a Sober horse thief
0: Yeah well and that's so, kind of the mending broken Hearts component where it's like there's nothing Worse than you know someone Who's like a sober drunk in, and they Have all their trauma but they haven't healed The they haven't healed so Then they bring that even though they're Sober so yeah that's Kind of that component of mending broken hearts Right
1: yeah, so we're we're working to um, to really to set up predator alerts in a safe way for women and children, and and, and to come out as a group of identified leaders, um, not self-identified, but identified leaders
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, who have already given so much to their community. And so now I'm on the next leg of the journey, which is holy crap, how do I how do I get funding to to develop, like, cutting-edge workshops. Like, we want to call them courageous conversations. Yes. Um, and we want to frame everything in our teachings. And we really want to be able to... Because, like, the MMIW report won't do this for us. Nope. The Truth and Reconciliation report won't do this for us. Nope. What we have to undo with colonialism and our lateral violence and our predators and how we talk to each other when we're triggered is our work. Like... The Women's Council has to have its own foundation in how we have internal conflict resolution Mm. so that we are not, like for instance, I've seen so many powerful women and working groups and organizations that are Indigenous devolve into the cattiest most toxic workplaces possibly on the planet Yep, because everyone is so so oppressed and everyone is so frustrated with constantly being sideswept and minimized and 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 raped and murdered and missing and no justice. So they just we just take we just don't treat each other very well. And so that's really the the foundation of the Warrior Council is it's for love. You know, mm-hmm. we really want to see our teachings in action and you know we want to work with grandmothers as advisors and grandfathers and two spirit elders as advisors who understand how wounded some of their generation is Mm -hmm. and can actively you know really steer help to steer our canoe in a way that's aspirational even if generationally we don't feel it's fair like the women who I've spoken with everyone agrees we need the counsel of our elders but we don't think it's fair to expect them it's the youth who are going to guide us. Mm -hmm. It's the youth, it's my generation, our generation, Michelle, the ones that are sort of aunties, you know, junior elders, because we had less impacts. How can we, how can we expect our grandparents who have gone through everything they've gone through Mm. to somehow be these healed you know, totally signposts. It's so unfair. So that's what, yeah, that's what we're kind of moving towards. And, and so I, unfortunately, Michelle, I got to go because I have a group of amazing perfect (laughs) leaders who are under the age of 25 (laughs) and then other crusty old aunties and uncles like myself and some, (laughs) some other folks that are coming to listen to the youth and focus our safety and strategies for the Wet'suwet'en strong um, land back um, movements. Um, I cannot. And the thank last you thing enough. I want to say yep, yep. for anyone who's listening, and you know, is to make sure if you can, to always focus fundraising back to grassroots. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you're not into being on the land, I'm not. I can't do it. I've got to practice. I'm, I'm happy being housed in in Coast Salish territory. I'm very grateful. I had housing instability my whole life, and a lot of attachment issues. For me, it's really important to have a home base and to be in a home right now because I've done years of not being safe in housing. So if, if people are listening and they're wondering how to help raise money for the tiny house warriors, mm. raise money for what to Raise money for the Mohawks. Mm-hmm. Raise money for the people that are um, out there doing the land defense work because they do it unpaid. And I know that the mm-hmm. far right media thinks, of course, it's an anti-Semitic conspiracy that George <laughs> Soros is funding all of this. I know. And I mean, like, he I owes us. Say, I'm like, I'm like, where's my check? Where's my money? Where's my <laughs> check? Can somebody please flip and pay me? Yes. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yes. (laughs) So lots of love. And we know we get paid. We know we get paid in ways that are infinite. Yes. And will, you know, help us when we go home. That's right. Back to the star nation. They'll be looking at us with so much pride and joy and gratitude we are the answered prayers of our ancestors made flesh and for anyone who's white passing or been grown away from their culture or trying to figure out who they are because they're not brown enough or because they were raised in foster care or 60 scoop survivor you are seen yes you are loved yes you are cared for yes and more and more of our folks from reserves who do have it's such a strange thing to say you're privileged to grow up on a reserve but in Indian country, it's kind of like, if you grew up and able to go to a longhouse, or if you grew up and were able to go to a sweats, or if you grew up and were, that is a privilege of sorts. And yeah. I think even though they had all the shit on the reserve, there was a cultural, they had some access. And I think that that conversation is happening now too, where people like some of my most, you know, some of my most, my sisters who have the most access, who have had the most access and all the pain too. Yep. They can say, I know I was privileged to have this. Sure. And it's good to hear. Right on. Because it makes, makes people like me feel like it's okay that I didn't have this. Yep. My family was trying to survive.
0: Yeah." It's incredible. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for talk. I didn't feel like I had to like, so Sarah, what's going on today? No, I didn't have to do any of that. And I think we could have had like a two hour conversation easily. But I, I know you're doing great work. And I'm so grateful that you were able to come on my show. And as soon as we get it up, we'll send it to you. And, and just from the bottom of my heart, thanks for, for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me again. I feel very honored and appreciate um, just the opportunity to be able to share a little bit of my journey and a little bit of how I make up for some of my privilege as well as you know take my space yes as a race woman and to do the good work to speak to especially I love speaking to white people about white privilege because hey I can do it
0: (laughs) yeah no kidding I hear you well (laughs) well if you have something really cool that you want to talk about that's coming up please know you are welcome on my show anytime or we can continue the conversation from here whatever that looks like
1: i would love that awesome for the invite and uh, we will definitely talk again then
0: okay i can't wait
1: all right All right. lots of love
0: lots of love to you too bye for now sarah bye oh that was so great to have sarah on the indigenous have been talking about the issues sharing our traumas and reports commissions and public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded no more honor our words honor the treaties listen to the politicians and their policies and platforms If they don't recognize marginalized people in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, you know, if they're cutting indigenous education, cutting uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on MMIWG2. And as Sarah said, also (laughs) encourage the local activists in your area. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health and justice institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, race, privilege and sexism, they literally have zero business running. Uh, This should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc., Great article that I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth How Non Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. I think I might reshare that again today just to kind of put it out there again. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, just to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions but sure want to tell us theirs and by people who know nothing about indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, just typical microaggressions. People dealing with internalized racisms who are gatekeepers and survive off the status quo. People who are so in their trauma that they stop people from doing the good work and deplete um, personal resources. I shouldn't say that. People who are so in their trauma that they need extra help by more folks that's why i want everyone to step up on that anyway internalized and external racism is an everyday reality for indigenous people and i think sarah really alluded to a lot of that sad we needed a podcast for this boundary to be heard but here we are my hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road i want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so you create a safer space for indigenous people of color, those with a disability, LGBTQ2+, a space for them to speak. Um, I just recently did something and, and it wasn't safe enough. The bottom line is I think uh, folks who are non-indigenous ni- or who are non-racialized need to see they have to create that space for other people to feel heard um, or at least try to speak at all. Look at it as first aid for marginalization. You know, uh, if you Google cultural safety, you will find a lot of what I'm talking about. Do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself so that you can be anti-racist and advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Don't expect all of this teaching to come from Indigenous people when we have so many, you know, free podcasts, books, everything out there available, documentaries. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task and you can go to heretohelp.bc.ca to uh, uh, indigenous people what it, indigenous cultural safety is and why I should care about it internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence indigenous feel with each other and marginalized with other marginalized folks and you can see a lot of that first of all remember forgive other people (laughs) when they're, uh, racialized and they're attacking indigenous because they haven't been told the truth either. Uh, but they also experience racism in a white supremacist land. So, you know, be really careful about how you choose to tone police somebody. Um, so there's equity or racialequitytools.org, and there's some great information about what internalized racism is by Donna Bevins. Uh, Do's and don'ts for bystander interventions by the American Friends of Service Committee. Uh, another book I always recommend is White Fragility. It's such a good book. If you witness public instances of racism, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment. Use these tips on how to intervene and consider everybody's safety involved. You know, make your presence known. Go sit beside somebody being harassed, um, even if you don't feel confident. And if you feel afraid, ask them if it's okay for you to call the police, but make sure that you are, you know, de-escalating the situation by not acknowledging the aggressor in any way. Do not call the police unless you're given permission because that may escalate the situation and especially for racialized people. So the goal is to not entice any more violence. Um, And as we've been learning, actually, I'm just going to do a whole other podcast on the rule of law. Anyway, doing nothing is dangerous. Teach your children on how to be more accountable on this as well. It's Black History Month. And if you're not teaching your kids, uh, not just about racism, but how to be anti-racist, then you're not doing your work. Parents, do it. If you are experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1 855 242 3310. It is toll free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt my stepmom for showing me a, what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her that I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child and support down my journey of the red road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better, stronger person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciated every penny of your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. But for those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions, but more importantly, tell me what you learned. Did you learn anything? Anyway, uh, we're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end with, when I give the side-eye to Calgary rabbits, you're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you so much.